0: Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Venture Games podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm happy to introduce a very special guest, Chris Freilich, board partner at First Round Capital. How's it going, Chris?
1: Very good, Chris. Great to be here with you.
0: Great. Thanks for joining me. So to kick things off, you know, I would love to just dive into your background and, and hear more about the path that brought you here today. Well, I
1: I, uh, can go way back, was born in Western Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, and ended up going to college in the eastern side of Pennsylvania at Villanova, and got into computers early on. My dad had um, sold computers, worked for IBM, had a computer leasing business I worked for uh, in the summers, and I helped set up early PCs back in the early 80s. And when we graduated in 1984. Uh, a friend of mine and another friend from Villanova all joined a computer retailer called Jonathan's Computers in, in, uh, in spring of 1984 when the Macintosh had been released and the Apple IIc and the IBM personal computer and the Compaq and those kind of things and, and ended up working in that business for a decade in all different kinds of uh size of resellers from retail to giant uh, corporations and selling thousands of computers at one time. And that was sort of like the first 10 years of my career and then Mm -hmm. got into software and services and then the internet started happening and I was interested (laughs) in startups and uh, uh, ended up through some connections that involved the TED conference and meeting Josh Koppelman who started first round Mm Uh, and back in 1999, he was starting uh, a thing called half.com. And I joined him about the, I think when I joined, there were four other employees and I ran business development and my wife had to interview Josh because he, he was so young looking and young that she wanted to make sure that was a good bet. And it turned out to be a good one. And, and uh, half was acquired by eBay. I spent years at eBay, another, uh, you know, Startup or two, but always more interested in venture, and eventually came and was fortunate enough to be able to join Josh and Howard, who had started First Round, and I joined, and our other partner Rob Hayes joined soon after, and that that's the group uh, that you know I was involved with early on, and now we've expanded and grown and nationwide, and uh, uh, I think there's 35 people at First Round, and uh, it's it's been a 15 year journey. I'm now a board <laughs> partner. So I've I've made a bunch of investments over over 15 years, about 75 of them, and uh, I don't make new ones anymore. I stopped that a few years ago to sort of slow down mm-hmm. a little bit. But I um, I now just take care of the companies where we've already invested, but I don't make new investments. That makes that makes time for other things we can talk about. But that's a you know a couple, a couple minute sweep through my beginnings and career.
0: Yeah, so a lot to dive into there. Actually, just getting started. I spent some time in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you know the tech. They're having a bit of a sort of tech, uh, you know, tech renaissance. Uh, they're on a much smaller scale, of course. Um, you know, but it's, it's still nothing like in in some other larger tech hubs, right? So I can't even imagine what Pennsylvania was like, you know, decades ago. So how did you even start getting into computers, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania all these years ago?
1: Yeah, so uh, I I missed the first wave and opportunity in in my high school. There was a computer class in probably 1979, Mm -hmm. which is about as early as anything like that existed. And it was really for the academically talented, the gifted kids like you would have been in it for sure. (laughs) But but I wasn't I really I didn't know what was going on. They had these uh, I think they were Radio Shack computers and Mm -hmm we're doing this thing called programming. I just had no clue. It was often a little separate, uh, you know, building. So I really didn't know what that was, but my, my dad had a computer leasing business and he sold, you know, mainframes and, and mini computers. And I helped, I was, I was in sales for him, cold calling people to sell, <laughs> you know, disc drives or equipment or things that we happen to have at the time. And then he knew he wanted to have uh, a computer in the office and he was he literally because he was doing a lot of spreadsheets discounted cash flow analyses and he would always have the latest greatest biggest calculator to do it on himself and he literally would have paper spreadsheets you know big ones would fill a desk and he'd fill them in working with his calculator to you know figure out the best lease price and whatnot and and he wanted to have that built and he literally had, was going to pay a programmer to put it on a mini computer so he could do his work on it but then the pc came out and uh there was you know there were tools out there eventually lotus 123 and um and and other tools and he you know researched and then bought and then i picked up a multi-user computer system probably my sophomore year in college in the summer <laughs> And it was my job to plug it in and make it work. And I'd never touched a computer before. And I was opening the box and plugging in cables and reading the first manuals and eventually figured out how to get it to work, how to load on, you know, software. And by the end of the summer, there was a network multi-user CPM system that had a spreadsheet in it and had all of our customers and we were doing mail merges and printing and (laughs) Everything, everything works. That was my beginning. Once I, once I, and it was weird. If I go back, there was a moment when the you know, this demonstration was there and the person put it down, the computer down in front of us. And mm-hmm. I walked up and I before I started typing, I knew what it was gonna do. I just knew how it was gonna work and look, and it just felt so comfortable that it just, it was like I'd done it before when I never had. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up having a computer in my dorm room in 1983, 84. And I was in the business school and I didn't know anyone that had one in their dorm room, even the engineers back then, but I did cause I was into it and uh, you know, would type up term papers and print them out before, you know, going to class. And uh, but that was, that was my start. So I had a little bit of an edge when there was a, Job opportunity to sell computers for a living, and an incredible time. You know, when I, when I, when I look back, just being, you know, my first computer class at Villanova in 1980 was, was punch cards, and and you know, 3270 mainframe terminals, and waiting for the printed reports hours later. You know, and then the first computers, and then you know, I've been fortunate to ride 35 plus years of you know almost 40 years of uh of technology waves and still be in it it's it's uh it's very fortunate Mm
0: -hmm. okay so now fast forwarding a bit for those who aren't familiar what is half.com and what were you doing there
1: yeah so uh in you have to go back in 1999 it's the dot-com bubble web everything is you know new websites. Mm-hmm. And two of them that were out there that were growing still very small relative. One was Amazon, which I've was heard of those guys. primarily at the time. And uh, another one was eBay. Mm-hmm. And, and back then on eBay, every single time you wanted to list an item for sale, you had to upload an image, create every word of the listing time after time again, Every mm-hmm. So if there's a hundred people uploading, uh, you know, a John Updike book, they're all retyping the same thing at the same time. When you, you couldn't buy anything, you had to bid. Everything was at least a several day, usually a week long bid.
0: Yeah.
1: Back then there wasn't PayPal, didn't exist. Uh, you had to pay with a paper check <laughs> and mail it to the seller and the seller would deposit the check before It would, and it wouldn't send your thing in the mail until it cleared. Like it could take (laughs) a month to get a thing for like a $15 book.
0: Right.
1: And Josh is, you know, the founder, uh, his great insight was there's all like, there's all this supply and it's so hard to tap into it on the eBay side. Mm -hmm. And what's the value of a book after you read a lot less, why would you want to pay full price? but boy, it's easy to buy over here on Amazon. And, and half was really one, one time the the joke name was Ibazon, <laughs> um, which was a combination of eBay and Amazon. You right. wanted, wanted people's inventory in their houses to be available to make money. And you, and we intermediated the sale. We, we, we took credit cards on half. We took care of paying the sellers. We created shipping labels they could use to, to send, um, things out and we created a catalog that was a big big deal we, we had a database of all the books and all the movies and you could just type in an isbn number or a upc code or scan it in in some cases and uh and it made it made buying easy and uh you know they they ebay acquired us six months after we launched
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we launched six months after we started and back then you couldn't you couldn't take out a credit card and get on Amazon Web Services. And part of my job was to first build out the technology stack, meaning helping us negotiate an Oracle license and buy Sun servers and rack, you know, racks in data centers and credit card processing systems. And then part of it was getting supply. So I was the, the, the business development guru. That was my official title on my card back then. That was what we did in those days. Yeah. And part of it was Getting supply, so finding sources of used books in big quantities at good prices, who would ship to individual customers—that was a whole. That was a whole uh, process, and then you know we also were trying to find how do we find buyers. What are the what are the ways that we get seen out on the web? And um, you know the 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 marketing team did a lot of innovative things, like naming a town. Uh, we we renamed America's first .dot com city, halfway Oregon became Half .dot com Oregon. And it was, it was uh, just over 21 years ago uh, in January Mm -hmm. and did some really at the time, very innovative things like paying, doing a CPA deal cost per acquisition. So we would, we would pay five or 10 or, you know, dollars for every new user we got, but we wouldn't pay anything unless we got a new user. Mm -hmm. And that was fairly, that was very innovative. The, all the affiliate programs were literally brand new just starting and mm-hmm. we we picked one to work with them and we were able to acquire customers extremely efficiently early on like again like just reminding like one of the one of the tricks or the you know it, it, it happened is we would there were these things called all these product search engines and book search engines and and pricing services like um, one was called my simon was a famous one back then mm-hmm. and if you were going to buy something you'd go there and you'd search it would show you all the places that were selling it. Well, we were selling used books, and they were priced better than anybody else's. But we managed to get <laughs> ours in there, so we would always be the lowest price, and <laughs> uh, you know, in all these search engines. And it did, and uh, and they did did extremely well for us.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, when you were making the transition over to eBay, um, you know, one just given the time period, um, you know, there was a, a big event around this time um what was that like
1: yeah so it, it was it was kind of strange in the sense that um uh, when when we got the call from eBay and and uh, I got the first call kind mm-hmm. of Gil Gil Pencino was running was running the M&A group there at the time Jeff Jordan who's now at uh, uh Andreson Horowitz was the, the acquirer he 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 was running the business unit the US business that mm-hmm. that did the deal but when they called us it was Jan, it was when we launched a week or so after we launched in january of 2000 you know we were in conversations and the market started crashing in march and it was you know going down the tubes by june or july when our deal was finally announced so it was really tough from the whole industry kind of shaking down valuations getting ratcheted down mm-hmm. but what was unique is ebay was impervious to it ebay was not ebay was In some ways back then it was kind of before google was google at least you know there was like yahoo had been high flying and was kind of coming down that that ebay was one of the very few big then tech companies that everybody wanted to work for and Mm -hmm. things were going well and they're minting money and growing and you know for for a while you know we were the you know the golden children inside of ebay but then quickly ebay just grew faster than even half you know there was they tried to make it work, integrate. They sh- were going to shut us down once, and customers re- revolted, and they kept it open for a long time. So the business ended up doing. Uh, last I tracked, it was it was approaching three billion dollars worth of used books and movies <laughs> and games that had gone through half over all the years, which is just just incredible. Mm-hmm. The the biggest impact I think is. Uh, when they acquired us they didn't have one bit of fixed price purchasing they didn't have any database they didn't have they didn't handle payment at all they were working on their own pre-payPal payment solution and half sort of brought all of that in and I think a lot of our DNA of how easy it should be to buy was is now reflected in you know buy it now is I think the majority of the purchases on eBay and PayPal's a separate thing that's bigger than eBay. When eBay bought PayPal, they used to be competitive, like mm-hmm. really, really at each other's throats in some ways, companies. And then Jeff Jordan, after three tries, was able to acquire them. Might be one of the great acquisitions of all time. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember at the time, Josh Koppelman said, "Someday eBay is going to be renamed PayPal." <laughs> like, so he it, that didn't happen. But the whole point of them being more important than eBay itself, you know, certainly bigger. He was he was right on that.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, quite the foresight. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so the last the last question on eBay, and then we'll move on to some some first round stuff. But you know, eBay obviously was so important for such a long time, and it still is you know a giant company today. Uh, you know, but when people think e commerce, you know, they think Amazon and probably some other companies as well. And so, what do you see as eBay's role today, just in the e commerce ecosystem?
1: I, I still use it very heavily. Personally, just you know, for some of the weird uh, computer and technology collecting stuff I do, I also find it just easier to get things there than to sign up for a new account on some other e-commerce site. And I, and I guess I'm partial. Like I, I don't know what my my rating is. It's, I think it's like 400 with you know all A plus pluses <laughs> or you know perfect, no negative feedback. So I'm, I think I'm partial to it. But it. it you know, I think it's still a great business and an old friend, Jamie Iannone is now the CEO, which is just wild, but he's, but you don't hear it as much as other sites, even, you know, even Etsy, right. which, is, which is an example of a company that I, you know, it was one of my big misses in my investing career. We had a chance, we were there early on and really just didn't didn't see it. I think we were you know, or at least I think I was a little jaded from eBay, just thinking that was a little niche and crafts and, you know, how, how big could that be And it, and it can be massive. And it's been just an incredible story to watch that and yeah. Amazon, just being as, as big and good as they are, it's just, you know, there, there's an Amazon box at my door, almost every day and mm-hmm. uh, like what I would have never fathomed was them getting so big into distribution to having trucks and people you know w- one one sunday i noticed a smiling usps postal worker delivering mail on a sunday from a government agency <laughs> truck cuz they're big enough to light up a whole you know right. nationwide postal system for their <laughs> needs and get them to do things like that and it's just uh it's re- it's remarkable
0: um, okay. So now transitioning, you know, to your work at first round and as an investor and, you know, you started alluding to this with Etsy, but you know, maybe we can think of another company, but what's a company that you maybe looked at, uh, you know, that you consider a miss uh, throughout your career that you're, you're comfortable talking about.
1: I, I have many there's there's, and it grows all the time. Mm-hmm. There's at least 10 that I believe to be billion dollar companies or soon <laughs> on their way. Um one, one One being uh, Twitter. We told that story a few times, but it Mm -hmm. was based on the valuation was the reason we passed, even though we were all using it. I'm one of, Josh is one of the first hundred users on the platform. We were in Ev's prior business. Like we we were there, but we let the valuation scare us off. We learned the lesson that uh, not to let that happen again. And we ended up investing in Square in -hmm. in Jack's next business at a crazy $40 million dollar you know, twice as high as Twitter valuation. And that that turned out great. So Definitely. we we learned from that lesson. But like, a, you know, if you open up my uh, freezer, the, the entire door of my freezer is filled with daily harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's like frozen fruit and vegetables and smoothies and little breakfast bowls and oats and little healthy pizzas and such. And that's one that like I, I really wanted to get done. I tried hard. I circled them back, you know, uh, and and we we didn't invest. And and uh, you know, w- w- one of the comments in the partner meeting that they, I had sent, uh, you know, we were distributed. We're in three different offices, and I really wanted this investment, and I wanted to give everybody a, a sense of the product and to taste it. So I I sent out. Uh, blenders to every office sent out frozen <laughs> smoothies before we were mixing them with all the you know all the right coconut waters and things and and uh and handed them out right at the right time in the middle of the presentation like that was very well choreographed and you know some of the things were very healthy and one had a lot of kale in it and and one of the comments in the partner meeting was I can taste the kale. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, for that and other reasons didn't end up investing. I think that thing is, uh, I think I heard they did a quarter billion in revenue last year and are growing like mad. And, and at least I'm a customer, at least I can be happy to be a customer. <laughs> like there's something like that. Like don't, you, you should think more about the market opportunity, who they're serving than your own particular taste of a, of a smoothie.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great lesson. Okay. And then uh just putting aside for a minute the small uh games company that just recently ipo that that you uh, invested in what's another uh win that you would uh you would highlight in your career
1: uh you know it, it it's uh it was a good one at the time in retrospect it's smaller but mm-hmm. uh, it would be invite media was mm-hmm. one of the early investments was involved with with um Nat Turner, Zach Weinberg out of UPenn, literally out of their dorm rooms uh, or not, they, they, they had an apartment that they lived and worked out of and was early and on the board there and helped them get going, introduced them to their first people in the ad tech business. Mm-hmm. They quickly became the smartest people in the room and in the industry and uh, Google acquired them. Um, I, think, I think it was for about 70 or $80 million. Which which was a lot of money in those days, particularly for a couple of years out of school for the, the founders. And not only is what it's now called Double click Bid Manager, it's uh, you know its annual revenue is measured in the several billion dollar mm-hmm. range. Uh, the majority of every every uh, digital ad transaction on the buy side goes through the product they built, you know in you know in Chestnut Street in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm back then but the coolest thing is to watch nat and zach went on and built Flatiron health and sold that for two billion dollars <laughs> and they're and they're now probably two of the smartest and most active angel investors in the new york ecosystem mm-hmm. and it's just it's just cool to watch watch them develop uh over the years too
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know at some point in your career uh, maybe unbeknownst to you, you became a video game <laughs> investor um, you know you invested in this company called Roblox which just IPO'd recently um, you know that I would argue is probably the hottest gaming company right now you know it's probably competing with, with epic games and fortnite And so I would love to hear sort of you know the story you know feel free to get into the nitty-gritty details here um, about your investment in roblox
1: yeah, well, I guess I, I would go back and and say I, I I would consider myself a gamer at least at some point in time where, you know, whether it was Pong at an arcade or some home system we had back in the day or everything on the piece early PCs and such would always play. And then like with my son from when he was a very young age, you know, we'd be on the would be on the PlayStation and we would just play games out like entire series together uh sly cooper is one that we just loved and did everything with. love it and um and we, we were in 2007 introduced to this company called roblox and the ceo dave Bazuki and as part of diligence i asked my then eight-year-old son to to play as i watched him play and played with him a little bit and and uh, for a couple of reasons, including valuation. We we didn't have the excitement on the partnership to do the deal. And um, I was, you know, I thought I thought we should have done it. I had some conviction, but it, you know, we're a partnership and we make, we make right. decisions together. We we can show empirically that we think that that works better than individual decisions. And we 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 passed. And fortunately, my son kept playing. Mm-hmm. and he never stopped and I come home every night and he's playing and he and his buddies are playing and 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 I was watching it and playing it with him and I was able to keep in touch with Dave and I'd keep talking to him and he was gracious when I passed and didn't it didn't even really phase him and he just kept on you know sharing the updates with the bus- of the business with me and I remember once visiting their uh, their offices in Redwood City and not, not, and nothing impressive. I remember that you could look over and see a jail out of the, you know, out of the window from their, from their office and met some, there were 10 employees or so at the time and the game still looked a little blocky and it was mm-hmm. a little bit weird and people hadn't heard of it, but he was showing me the growth and his business model. And, and he was on version 87 of his business model <laughs> and it would, the game wasn't a year too old. And I just was shocked at how he was thinking about it, the details, And we built some trust and he kept sharing the numbers and I kept giving him feedback of what I saw with Max playing in. And, you know, I came back to first round said, Hey, I think, I think we can actually get in there might be a chance. And we ended up making a small investment in, you know, relatively small in 09 and then significantly buying up and leading the round in 2011. And, uh, you know, long, long fast forward through, you know, Growth for sure, but sometimes they were missing numbers. Sometimes it'd make them, uh, they weren't able to get great. You know, they didn't have a lot of great financing options for a lot of years Mm -hmm. and valuation remained relatively low, but everything started to click and everything started to come together. And there's a, you know, a a lot of reasons, a whole story for that. But over the last few years, it's just become a phenomenon and, uh, and incredibly they, Direct listed on the New York Stock Exchange on yeah. Wednesday, and uh, you know they're they're one of the most valuable gaming companies out there, and yeah. uh, they're uh, generating cash at at a significant rate. They're growing at a at a significant rate for a company of that size, and they're they're a phenomenon where it used to be, I would mention. To other investors or people, just generally, you know, Roblox, and I would usually hear back roadblocks. <laughs> That's really what they thought. And then I remember the first time ever in my life that I was at someone's house, and and and, to, and they said, "You you know Roblox? Do you know Builder Man?" And the kid was into it. And I was like, "Wow!" Like in the wild, a person <laughs> that knows. And then you know, along the way, you know, Dave would always talk about how do we expand from just younger kids to older kids? How do we expand from mostly boys to, you know, to girls? And now like the most common thing I hear when I say Roblox is my daughter loves Roblox and, you know, or we wouldn't have been able to get through the pandemic without Roblox, Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter and friends playing. So it is quite a, quite a, a journey and very lucky to be, you know, a part of it, you know, I was on the board for a while, then it came off the board, but I've been, you know, involved and active all the way through. And it was, uh, it was, it was really kind of surreal and amazing. Like uh, with, with COVID, they really couldn't have anybody in the New York Stock Exchange. If you saw the video Dave, Dave Bazuki was like standing there kind of by himself, <laughs> ringing the bell with the, the CEO of the Stock Exchange. But uh, I knew when he was going to, be arriving and and I drove up from Philadelphia and I just mm-hmm. was sitting outside of the the big banner in this, you know, epic building yeah. in the quiet morning and then just sort of saw him roll up and was able to say, you know, hi to him and his wife and wish him luck and mm-hmm. and you know then he goes in the goes in the building and and now it's uh, you know, it's a it's a public company but just just an amazing thing that that they built and, uh, you know, glad to have been a part of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned that they've, you know, they're on like their 87th business model. Um, I, I read that Dave had potentially been thinking about the idea for Roblox since like the eighties or nineties. Is that yeah. something he ever mentioned to you?
1: Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's part of it. It all ties together. Uh, he, you know, he's a Stanford, uh, engineer that the, like there's you know certainly back then you know i think the average degree might have been stanford rocket scientist <laughs> at least for some period of time like that's really and they were they were into educational games and tools and had a company i think it was called knowledge revolution or knowledge something like that and they had a physics-based game that uh my partner Josh just picked up an old copy of it on eBay. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go find one now too. But like a shrink wrapped in a box, I think it cost five hundred dollars. Like it was <laughs> not cheap. And they, you know, that they were used that in schools to teach, to teach physics through real visual, real simulation. And they ended up selling the company, and that was Dave's first win. But uh, I, I know that they observed that instead of just building models that moved, that kids would make vehicles that crashed into each other. Like they, they were, they were trying to play together and build together in this package software. And Mm -hmm. I think that informed, you know, what, what his vision for Roblox uh, was. And, you know, and I can, I can tell you that he saw it very clearly, very Mm -hmm. early and much more clearly than I could (laughs) many times. And, and uh and it's just been amazing to watch him, him grow personally, him grow the team around him, and kind of just to see all the, all the cylinders hitting
0: at once. Yeah, I mean, it's truly like one of the great like entrepreneurial stories you know, of, of the modern day. Um, so it's awesome that you got to be a part of it. Okay, so now shifting gears to sort of your, your current role, um, you know, I know you've, you stepped into the role of a board partner. So what does that entail? At first round,
1: I've thought about generational transition
0: and what it's like for
1: partners to join and level up uh, as they come into the partnership, but also about how they might, you know, step back a little bit or, or you know, or or you know, move into different roles over time. And so uh, we we've created, and I'm one of the board partners, and and what what that basically means is that. You're not making new investments anymore. And in my case, I'm really not making any any new investments anymore. and 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 so I, I have a lot more free time that's not that's not first round related because I don't have to go to partner meetings and I don't take pitches from companies anymore. And so that that so that that's been the, that's been the transition. but I still take care of all the companies that I'm involved with. There's probably, you know, 14 or so of them and two or you know uh at least two maybe three that i'm on the boards of probably three or four more i'm observer on uh you know roblox i've been an observer for the last few years but but very active and at all the board meetings you know at least virtually if not in person and you know so that that will free up a lot of time now that that's a, a public company but uh but generally you know it's it's uh you know, it, it, if you're fortunate, and I feel like I've been to, to be able to shift into that position to explore other things, mm-hmm. um, then, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I've I'm got it's worked out. It's worked out well for me.
0: Sure. So one of the things that you've been exploring, you know, sort of with some of your free time has been, has been mentorship. You know, that's how we got connected, of course. And so what, what is it that made you know, that made you so passionate about mentorship and giving back, you know, and for context, the way we met, you know, it was through a six-week mentorship program. We're now about, I think, nine or eight months after it started, and we still, you know, get together every other week um, virtually. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) I'd love to hear, uh, you know, why you're so passionate about it.
1: Yeah, um, so one of the you know, one of the things, so it it, it was a, it's a first round initiative. And so I was inclined to, you know, to do it regardless, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've done, I've, I've taught classes or spoken to groups of early investors, investors early in their career. And, uh, and we, you know, and and as far as I'm concerned, I hit the jackpot when I got, when I got you (laughs) and, and, uh, and have thoroughly enjoyed our six weeks and was very happy to keep it, to keep it going. And again, like what, what it's funny because I had been, um, uh, uh, the, I'd spoken once at, to a class at uh, hbcu.vc. Mm-hmm. And the guy named Jorge Torres was the director of it at the time. He's now a Yale professor and I've, you know, he's at, at Yale and teaches classes there. And I've, I've spoken there a few times. But like, I was, I was asking him, we talked about other ways I might get more involved in mentorship. And I was just interested. But I didn't know really what the right way to do it was or, and we, and we got connected and had that first six weeks and then we sort of stuck with it. And so, you know, in, instead of, uh, you know, doing something brand new or going wider, you know, we just sort of stayed on this path and, right. and, you know, what, to your, to your credit, I would say you've. You, you you bring so much energy to it and you know you're you're uh, like a sponge and you always bring ideas and introductions and connections that you're asking for and you always follow up and make it easy for me to make that intro and most of them happen and most of them stick and yeah. some of them have had a you know a real big impact and uh and so it's been cool and and now, and now you and I are going to try and open source it,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: and uh, do a do a public clubhouse version of this, and that'll be fun. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also interesting that you and I have never met in person either. Yeah, no, which is really, which is really strange.
0: Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. You know, especially in this remote world, there are people that you build connections with. You know, for sure. almost a year now um yep. and we've yeah we've never been like you've, you've met my today. wife and my
1: son like right. as they walk into the office here when we're on a zoom mm-hmm. but i've seen you in different cities and
0: yeah yeah and so backdrops we're, but we're gonna have to connect in person definitely we That's will might happen might. this year we'll make yeah. sure it does um Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned just like the networking aspects as well of, uh, you know, of our uh, relationship and, you know, it's something that you've spoken about and, uh, and talked about extensively is just uh, networking. You know, some people probably believe you're the most networked person on the planet. Um, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. Uh, what's your approach to, uh, to networking and what has made you such a successful networker? Yeah, I don't tend to use that word a lot, but
1: that's what a lot of people would, would, would tend to call it i i think of it in terms of how do you build relationships that last and how do you build them over the long term uh maybe even over a career and sort of having that mindset of how can you add value be helpful don't waste time don't you know bs like you know be be a be a straight shooter, like, and it can be as simple things as doing what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And don't say it if you're not going to do it. And following up on what happens, like, like, those simple things are doing the extra work before you do an outreach or ask for an introduction, um, where you've, you know, you've sent an email that's easily forwarded, has all the context in it. And the, uh, as well as the the rationale for why it's a fit for the other person and it's easy for me to forward it and suggest someone would would meet with you and I don't know how many of those we've you know we've done but I think mm-hmm. I've gotten a response to almost every single one mm-hmm. virtually and uh, and those kind of things matter and and again like I think a lot of people whether you're in sales or looking for a job or one, Interaction. People see it as transactional, kind of win lose. And if it win, if it works, it's great. If not, like they're not worried about anything or thinking about it coming around. And my, I try and I have the perspective that um, that these are longer term relationships. Every single um, interaction is a data point, and you're either building or burning your reputation with every every one of them and you want to, you know, keep it fresh. So, you know, again, I, I know Meg Whitman because of eBay and, and, and I, you know, I don't try and bother her with lots of things, but if there's something or someone that might be a good fit, you know, I'll send her one. And once, you know, I send something over to her and and her response was, uh, Hey, Chris, great to see you in my inbox. (laughs) Sure. I'd love to meet that person. And I like, I love that response. Like, I think that's what you're aiming for. And I, you know, if people say, what is your brand? I'll say your brand is what people do when they see your name pop up on their phone or Mm -hmm. your email in their inbox. Are they glad to see you there and smiling and leaning in to see what, you know, thing you've got to say? Or are they rolling their eyes or deleting it or saying later, (laughs) right? Like, That's your. That is your reputation. Everything you've done up to that moment uh, uh, builds for that. And again, just trying to make things more authentic and, uh, you you know, and 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 a lot of that involves saying no a lot and not overcommitting and not, uh, you know, yeah. Again, like like, you know, uh, how to, you know, I think part of it's reflected in the Roblox story is how did how do you pass on an investment but keep a relationship open. To the point where you could come back to it, if that makes sense.
0: Um, okay, so I was just going back through our notes. Uh, you know, take notes on on our meetings um, and this is from one of our first meetings and it was like setting goals for like our relationship and Mm -hmm. one of the goals was to have multiple interviews for a position um you know obviously I was fortunate to uh to secure uh, a a position um and then another one was add 50 to 100 contacts in the industry and it's funny you know at the time I, I probably had like a few hundred i'm not gonna say the exact number but (laughs) a few hundred connections on linkedin um and you know now it's exploded since and i probably get like 50 new (laughs) inbound requests every few weeks now um so it's just funny you know sort of and i have it labeled as like big stretch goals too (laughs) it's just funny like (laughs) like,
1: (laughs) i'm not surprised i'm not surprised i i learn something new about you every week so uh, that that's another one that's great yeah
0: okay so you know, we've talked about Clubhouse a lot. Um, I know you have a show on Clubhouse called, uh, called Record House, where, you know, you just share and discuss uh, some music. And I think there's a different theme uh, every week. Do you want to just talk a bit um, about the show? Yeah, well,
1: I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued and, and enjoy Clubhouse. I think it, it's a, it's a simple, straightforward concept, but it represents something very different. And, and. You know, I don't think I I wasn't, we're not investors and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not one of the first users, but I think I'm one of the first few thousand users and, and with some friends I've met virtually who are our co-hosts now, uh, we, we created this weekly show every Thursday 630 Eastern called Record House and it's about vinyl records and music and culture and the people behind it and we do interviews or feature different genres or topics or styles uh, last night we picked a year 1973. And we just went really, really deep and wide into, into what happened in the world and the music that year. And it's really fun. And, and I think what, what, what I take away from that, you know, is, is like, like this podcast is, is fun and easy for me because you're doing the work and you're all, you know, you have to package it up and deliver it and build your audience that way. Mm-hmm. And it will be delivered at a later date than we're recording it. Mm-hmm. And it might, you know, someone told me there's 40,000 podcasts launched every week. Like, <laughs> like it's a noisy place. And someone has to know you, find you, take the time. Like it, it, it can be delayed and a lot of work to get an hour of audio on a podcast and who's listening to it. With Clubhouse, it's more like Twitter is to blogging in my mind. That simple. I think people underrated, tw- underestimated what Twitter meant, and what it would do to the world of blogging, in text. And I think Clubhouse was kind of doing that with, uh, with audio and just the it's it's a lower lift. It's more spontaneous. It's got a chance to just light up and get something exciting happening right at the moment. And you can see all your listeners, and you can bring them up on stage and have them interact. Like mm-hmm. that's a pretty unique characteristic and um so we've had fun we've done that we've done that show for i think 26 or 27 weeks we have four or five co-hosts and mm-hmm. we get a whole process for how we do it. it's really fun um i did another one a few weeks ago uh in, in another area of interest of mine which is you know tech history and and we did one on steve job's birthday mm-hmm. uh and we called it steve Jobs stories and you know it's, I spent a lot of time lining up people and you know getting them to say yes and come on and we had we had some amazing guests and great great stories it's now hosted if anybody wants to look on the computer history museum Mm computerhistory.org and just look for steve jobs stories it's it's a youtube uh we 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 recorded it with everyone's permission and it's it's there and and lots of people are enjoying it but we had you know we had esther dyson and Stephen levy were my co-hosts and we had people come out of the woodwork like Regis McKenna who's the marketing guru from you know when when Steve Jobs was in his garage <laughs> and uh Andy Hertzfeld uh and Bill Atkinson the guys that wrote the first Mac operating system and MacWrite and MacPaint and um uh what's the uh HyperCard like you know these guys are just legends telling their <laughs> telling their stories and we got it. And they all said, yes, and they all had fun. You know, John Scully, you know, was, was on there, you know, so it was, it was really, really fun. And, and yeah, so I like doing both those kinds of things on clubhouse.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the computer history museum for those who don't know, what is that and what's your involvement?
1: Yeah. So it's uh, you know, it's the largest, I think for sure, the most well-known uh, museum of its type, in the world celebrating all the hardware and software and companies and people that, you know, that, that the world we live in today was based on. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's in Mountain View, California. And I joined the, I was invited to join the board a few years ago, two years ago, and I've been very active with it. And it's, uh, you know, it's a passion of mine. I, I, as I told you, sold computers for the first decade of my career. Mm -hmm. I, I collect them. I have, depending on how you count hundreds or thousands of items in my personal collection. So I sort of do it naturally and automatically. And I lived it. I sold them. I know, like, you know, I know the people, the manufacturers who made them and, 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 uh, I think it's really important and great education and important part of our history. And it's cool to be involved with, with, uh, you know, a, a group that's capturing those stories and, uh, and making them available to the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Another uh, slice of history you were involved in actually is the launching of TED Talks. <laughs> I think this is just like very interesting. So could you tell the story actually of sort of what your involvement was with TED Talks getting launched?
1: Yeah. So a, a startup I was involved with, you know, uh, or before first round was called Delicious, Mm-hmm. and it was social bookmarking and tagging it was web 2.0 back in the day you know and we were acquired by yahoo jeff Weiner, who's now um you know much better known for linkedin was was the head of the group that bought bought the company back then and i assumed just like half that i would go into ebay and i would go into yahoo and have this you know have a great run there but it just didn't turn out. Yahoo was a very different company. And, and I just knew it wasn't a cultural fit and Mm -hmm. right out. So I I created a way out and, and half was, I mean, I'm sorry. First round was just getting started. It was just Josh and Howard and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, CFO and Josh's assistant, like that was, that was it. And they needed some help and knew me and knew my interests and, and offered me to join, but they really couldn't, afford to pay like a full like it wasn't a full partner gig so I was part-time so I had another slice of time and I knew Chris Anderson who had bought Ted years earlier and he you know I've gone to Ted for 25 plus years I met Josh through Ted and you know was very very close to the organization and he said yo we could use someone to do uh, strategic partnerships and so I Took that role and the big initiative that summer was: uh, we want to take the TED community, which is tight and strong, but it's only a thousand people a year, go to this thing in Monterey, and we want to think about opening up to the world. So that summer, uh, you know, work with June Cohen and Tom Riley, and you know, the the the, the whole team it was probably a team about a dozen people um, who took these uh, videos and made them into these works of art, these beautiful 18 minute uh, things we launched. I think with, it was four or six of them the first time and they they blew up and took off. We, we had had, uh, my job was to get a sponsor and we got BMW to underwrite the whole thing. They paid a half a million dollars and had the right to do that, that helped launch it. And then at the same time I was out there going to google to help to see if they would help promote us on google video because they hadn't bought youtube yet and google Video is this weird like aspect ratio wide thing and
0: yeah i i remember it oh
1: yeah so uh you know and you know i remember people like chris sacco was there at the time and that's where i think i first met him we would go to apple and try and work with them to get it as a podcast Mm -hmm. knew some of the people there and they were but they were supportive like everybody kind of knew ted and there was they they were open to the idea i think everybody was surprised by how well it took off and then it became the thing that that they're they're known for for most people Mm -hmm. and uh and so I, i was only there for a summer where we got it funded and got it launched and like back then like one of our one of our companies at first round was called Video Egg and they were the, they powered the video back then. <laughs> like we got them a deal to do the player. And uh, it's, it's just so cool to see it become this phenomenon that, yeah. everybody, that everybody knows. And that was the beginning, but it reminds me, I think uh, we're gonna get June and some of the others, uh, uh, Jason Wishnow, he's, he was the video guy. He's the original <laughs> Ted video producer and maybe Tom Riley and maybe Chris Anderson and do a clubhouse. Like I want to do a clubhouse on Ted Talks origins. I thought that would be a great, a great one to do.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. I will definitely be listening in. So Chris over, you know, sort of as a concluding question, you know, over the years, you've done a lot. You've been involved in some, some interesting historical things. Some, some large companies that you've invested in early on. Um, You know, now that you've transitioned into the board partner role and you have more time, you know and just looking out ahead what does your future look like
1: um it, it, i think it involves a lot of things so you know my we, we 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 have an rv so my my wife and i have driven across the country and we're mm-hmm. gonna you know go up and visit my son uh soon in college so like family and just cruising around the country is is definitely part of it um mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as I, I'm involved with a couple museums now. The Computer History Museum, the Franklin Institute. You know, other museums I've I've spoken to maybe can be helpful in some ways uh, and do and do some of that. Teaching is uh, is something I'm more and more interested in and mm-hmm. testing new ways to do. But I've I've uh, you know, it, it's often around the the theme of building relationships and you know all the way down to like details of how to send an email. But, but sometimes it's more focused on. On uh, like emerging VCs, right? Uh, Or you know, I was doing some mentoring as with with a Kauffman fellow for a while, and spoke to their whole class earlier or or last year, and that's fun and interesting. And so like I'm I'm I'm, I enjoy that. I don't know that I would want to teach an entire class and have a lot of that responsibility myself, but I I love dropping in and and uh, teaching a class and and uh, and engaging there but those those are you know th- those are probably to you know to the to the main areas and then then you know i'm sure i'll find find time for more too
0: yeah definitely it sounds like you have you know a pretty consistent theme has been when you have spare time in your words you <laughs> find, you find a way to fill it yeah. yeah you don't
1: have that you don't have that problem i know you don't have any <laughs> spare time
0: exactly exactly but if, if i do i'll try to fill it uh, you know as you have been able to yeah well uh
1: great well thank you for having me
0: yeah chris thanks for joining me